0: This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Here's what Thomas Goodwin said. He said, one who truly fears God and is obedient to Him may be in a condition of darkness. Let that sink in for just a few moments because... I'm sure that there are many of you here who know Christ and love the Lord with all your heart have gone through some dark times in your Christian life. But he continues this quote and says, may be in a condition of darkness and have no light. And he may walk many days and years in that condition. Uh, And here's what Isaiah said. He agrees with this. He says, who among you is... He, who among you, who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servants, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon God. Keep his focus on God is what Isaiah is saying. I don't know if you may know this. You may have heard this. But we've, we frequently quote Uh, uh, a man who was called the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, Charles Spurgeon was a a godly, wonderful preacher in England and uh, has had a great impact upon believers ever since his ministry, Uh, he being dead yet speaketh. But I don't know if you're aware of the fact or not, but Charles Spurgeon went through times of deep depression during the time of his ministry. Did you know that? And he fought that. He battled that. Times of deep depression. You would think that someone who's walking with God, obeying the Lord, preaching, preparing their hearts constantly to minister to the souls, the hearts of others, uh, would be on the mountaintop all the time. You would think that, wouldn't you? But I know from experience that that's not the truth. And many of you sitting there looking at me. Or saying in your heart, you know that preacher's right, and uh, so we go through dark times in our in our walk with the Lord. But you know what? God uses those times to build our faith. This is what happened to Abraham. Uh, we read here in uh, in in this uh, uh, chapter, in, in verse 12, as a matter of fact, that he that he went through an horror. Of great darkness it says a horror of great darkness fell upon him. but out of that horror of great darkness, God gave him many victories. And that's the way it is in our lives. Sometimes God allows us to go through the deep valleys on our way to the mountaintops. And you know, usually uh, it, we experience the deep valleys after the mountaintop. So anyway, at times, even the most dedicated Christian feels like he's in the dark. Anyway, it seems why, and he, and he's seen, it seems like God is so far away. Where are you, Lord? And during the Boxer Rebellion, there's a footnote to that, and you can read that footnote about the Boxer Rebellion. But anyway, during the Boxer Rebellion, the China in- Inland Mission suffered great, greatly. Its founder was J. Hudson Taylor, great missionary, and he made this statement to a friend. He says, I cannot read, going through this period of time. He says, I cannot read. I cannot think. I cannot even pray. But he said, I can trust. And that's the way it is with us. Many times when God allows us to go through those uh, nights nights of dark nights, uh, those deep times of trouble in our lives, sometimes you can't pray i've experienced that i've gone through some times in my life when it just seemed like heaven was brass and my prayers didn't get any further than the ceiling and it just seemed like god was so far away lord where are you and then all of a sudden god parts the clouds and here comes the sunshine isn't it wonderful when God allows us to go through those experiences? And God does that, as I said, to help us to grow in our faith and draw near to him and, and put our faith and our reliance upon him and him alone. And uh, so never despair when God allows you to go through times like that. Rejoice always, the scripture says, and, um, and rejoice in the Lord at all times so Abraham had an experience of what spiritual counselors call the dark night of the soul. It's a term that came from the 16th century spiritual classic uh, titled uh, with that title, written by uh, St. John of the Cross. It's based on the Song of Songs or the, song, or the uh, song of Solomon. And the book tells how the child of God enters into deep love and faith by experiencing temporary darkness, and seeming separation from God. It's not an easy experience, but sometimes it's necessary. It's necessary for God to bring us to the place where he wants us. And that was Abraham's experience that we're going to look at today. We uh, we only have about half of our time. Well, we got a little bit more than half of our time today. So I'm not going to get all the way through this lesson. That's the reason why I put so much of these notes in your notes, your handout. So... What I don't get to, you can take it home and read it. And I hope you'll do that because there's so much there that can be helpful to you. Well, Abraham had three great concerns during the time of the darkness of his experience, and God met, God met him in all three of those times and, and helped him. First of all, Roman number one, Abraham was concerned about his safety. Look, if you will, at verse one here in chapter 15. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. What a comfort that may have been to him. You know, Abraham's problem was, this is letter A, by the way, Abraham's problem was he was listening to himself. We do that frequently, don't we? We listen to ourselves and get our attention away from god well anyway this chapter deals with abraham's emotions including this horror of great darkness that we looked at in verse 12. and people with faith are also people with feelings uh, you know many bible believing christians are prone to emphasize the mind and the will and minimize our emotions we should never minimize our emotions we should never focus on them completely, but um, uh, this is, a, this is a, really an error for us to just ignore our emotions. God gave us emotions for a reason, and, uh, and we use, need to use them for his glory. We're made in the image of God, and this includes our emotions. And while it's unwise to trust our emotions and bypass your mind, by, and bypass your mind, or let your emotions get out of control. It's unwise to neglect your emotions and become a religious robot. The writers of the Psalms. I've been, I'm using a Bible reading schedule this year to read through the Bible that takes me to the Old Testament and then to the Psalms and Proverbs and to the New Testament. So I read each of those every day. And you know, as I have been reading through the Bible this year, there's something that has just kind of popped out to me in the Psalms. And that is the writers of the Psalms, you know, David didn't write all the Psalms. Asaph wrote a good deal of them. But all the writers of the Psalms, in fact, Moses wrote one of the Psalms. But every one of the writers of the Psalms express their feelings, their deep feelings and their emotions to God. They tell God how they're feeling about Him. And that's kind of interesting because sometimes in our prayer life, you know, we're a little reluctant to tell God how we're really feeling about Him and how He's mistreating us and allowing others to mistreat us. But you know, David and Asaph weren't uh, weren't afraid to do that. You read some of those psalms, and you'll find out how David was feeling when he was when he was fighting uh, <clears throat> uh, Saul, and Saul was pursuing him, and he was running from Saul. Uh, David would frequently tell God, "Listen, God, uh, seems like you've forgotten me here." You know, and and he wasn't afraid to tell God how he was feeling. Sometimes we need to do that. God's not deaf to our feelings. He's not deaf to what we're thinking. He knows it anyway. He knows what you're thinking. You know, I, <clears throat> I, I was pondering this truth one time. I, uh, when you speak out loud, the devil can hear you. You know that? Or his minions can, his demons. They can hear you. But when you think, they can't read your mind. Only God can do that. Amen. The devil can't read your mind. And so if, you, if you're thinking something you shouldn't and you don't want the devil to hear it, just think it, don't speak it out loud, all right? But God knows what you're thinking anyway. He knows all about you. By the way, Herschel told me not to do this. I didn't realize I did this so much. I'm sorry, Herschel. He says it looks terrible on television. So. I do that because my razor doesn't doesn't shave that close, you know. So I kind of feel my beard beard a little bit. It doesn't show. I'm wasting time here. Okay. Anyway, um, and so they the the psalmists were not afraid to tell God what they were what they were feeling and, and what they were thinking. They were very open and candid with God. And and so do we. We need to be when we go before God. Just let Him know. Let it. Just let it hang out. And uh, God knows about it anyway, but he wants, to, he wants to know your heart. Doesn't the Bible say, casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you? You know, it's wonderful that God that knows all the names of the stars knows your name. He knows who you are. He knows where you are, he knows what you're thinking, he knows what you're doing, and there's no one that cares for you like Jesus. No one ever cared for me, for you, like Jesus. You know, now that Abraham had won the battles that are recorded in chapters 13 and 14, and there's some serious battles there in those two chapters, Why would he be afraid? God gave him these victories. Why would he be afraid now? Well, for one thing, he was human. And uh, our emotions can fall apart after a time of great danger and difficulty. This helps explain why Elijah was so discouraged after his victory over Baal, Mount Carmel, one of the greatest victories you can read in the Bible. But what God did there, concerning those priests of Baal and, and that, uh, that incident that's recorded there in 1 Kings 19. But you know, when you leave the mountaintop, you come to the valley. And that's what happened to Elijah. Another factor was the possibility that those four kings that he fought in chapter 14 that you read about yesterday, they might return with revenge, reinforcements, and attack Abraham's camp. Abraham knew that the eastern kings didn't take lightly a defeat, or that neither did they let enmity die very quickly. And uh, suppose Abraham were killed. Then what would happen to the covenant and the promise that God had made to Abraham? I'm sure all of this went through Abraham's mind. Uh, that's kind of subjection, uh, subjective, but I don't think so. But you know he was listening to himself. But then God got his attention and he started listening to God. And that's let her be. Listening to God. David Viscott, who a psychiatrist, a psychiatrist, said this. said, when a person assumes responsibility for his feelings, he assumes responsibility for his world. And uh, so we certainly ought to listen to our feelings and be honest about them. But we shouldn't stop there. That's a mistake if we do stop there. We need to take time to listen to God and to his word And to God's encouragement. Remember, the Bible says that David encouraged himself. Well, how do you suppose he encouraged himself? Probably he didn't encourage himself. It just just appeared that way because David had been not only writing some of the Word of God, I think he was also reading the manuscripts that were available to him at that time. And so his encouragement came from God. Says he encouraged himself, but he encouraged himself by listening to God, and uh, and I and I think that's what was happening here. Uh, by the way, um, you certainly ought to listen to those fields. This is the first time, by the way, in the Bible that you find the phrase, "The word of the Lord came." This is in verse uh, verse one of chapter fifteen. It's used more than a hundred times after this in the New Test in the Old Testament. The faith that conquers fear is faith in God's word, not faith in our feelings. While feelings are important, and while we have them for a reason, we're not to put our trust in those above God. All right. God spoke to his friend Abraham by name. And it seems incredible, but the God who names the names and numbers the stars, and I just said this, uh, also knows your name and is concerned about your need. This is also the first time we find the words fear not in the Bible here in verse 1. Fear not. It's the first time it occurs in the Bible. But then God repeated those words to Isaac and then to Jacob and often to the people of Israel. And there are a number of verses of Scripture there you can look up. The fear not promises in Isaiah are tremendous. One of my favorite fear not promises that are found in the book of Isaiah is found in Isaiah 41.10. And I just want to take the time to read that to you. It's such a good verse of scripture. I read this verse sometimes to a person in the hospital who's having surgery or somebody that's going through some difficult period of time. But listen what, listen what God says. Isaiah 41 and verse 10. Fear thou not. Why? For I am with thee. Be not dismayed. Why? For I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Ponder that verse for a while. Meditate on it for a while. What a great God we have. And... uh and it's a wonderful verse. So God's remedy for Abraham's fear was not to remind him of who was to remind him of who he is, of who he is. He says, "I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward." Verse one. God's "I am" is perfectly adequate for man's "I am not." You ever say, "No, I'm not"? God says, "Yes, you are." And you can be in me. Oh, boy, what a wonderful God we have. Be still, he says, Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I can remember my mother saying, Be quiet, son, and listen to me. God says that once in a while. He says, Be quiet, son, and listen to me. God is our shield. He's our reward. He's our protection. He's our provision. Abraham didn't have to worry about another battle because the Lord would protect him. He didn't need to to regret losing the wealth that was offered to him by the king of Sodom because God would reward him with something greater than that. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the what? Kingdom of God. And what? All these things will be added unto you. Well, protection and and provision are blessings that the world seeks. And the truth is our politicians are aware of that, and they promise everything when they run for office. They offer protection from war, from danger, danger in the streets. They offer jobs, health care, education, everything else and they never keep their word. But I know one who does. And that's our God. Psalm eighty four eleven says, For the Lord God is the sun and shield. The Lord will give thee grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Do you hear that? If you walk upright in the presence of God, God's not going to withhold any good thing from you But preachers, you just don't know. You don't know what I'm going through. No, I probably don't. But God does. And God's probably letting you go through that for a reason. Hang in there. Keep your eye on God. You may not be able to read. You may not be able to pray, but you can trust. And you trust God, and he'll see you through it. Okay? Number two, Roman numeral number two. Abraham was concerned about his heir. Uh, We won't read all these verses, but back to Genesis chapter 15. And uh, let's just read a few of these verses. Beginning at verse two, it says this. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Why Why did he say that? Well, I'll tell you in a minute. Verse three says, and Abraham said, "Behold, to me, uh, behold, to me, thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir." And uh, so, Abraham was childless. He and Sarah they didn't have any children at this time, and he was concerned about that. God's God's already told us, Abraham, I'm going to give I'm going to give your seed um, so numerous that they won't be able, nobody will be able to count it. Be like the sand on the seashore and the the stars in the sky. Nobody will be able to count it. And uh, Abraham said, well, I don't have an heir. What am I going to do? How how are you going to fulfill this one, Lord? What are you going to do here? Well, God will take care of that. But notice what he asked there in verses 2 and 3. And uh, Abraham's concern was not just for himself and his wife. His concern was for the working of God and God's plan, uh, God's plan for the whole world. God had a glorious plan that was guaranteed by a glorious promise. But it seemed as if God wasn't doing anything he to work out His plan. And so Abraham and Sarah—they were getting older, and time was running out. Uh, they were up to upwards to hundred years old by now. By the time they had children. Uh, Abraham was about uh, seventy five years old when uh, in, uh, during this period of time. He'd got to be an old man and um, one of the basic lessons in the school of faith is god's will must be fulfilled in god's way in god's time god didn't accept God didn't expect Abraham and Sarah to figure out how. Uh, how to have an heir. All he asked was that they be available so that he could accomplish his purpose through them. Abraham and Sarah didn't realize that God was waiting for them to be as dead, to be as good as dead, so that he alone could get the glory in this. And that's what God does in our life. God works it out so that he ultimately gets the glory. And they're the benefactors. When God gets the glory, we're the benefactors of that, you know. It's good to share our concerns with the Lord, even if what you say seems to be evidence of unbelief and impatience in your heart. But God's not deaf to your questions or or unconcerned about your feelings. He didn't rebuke Abraham when Abraham asked, Lord, how are you going to fulfill this one? What are you going to do? I don't have an heir. No children, I don't have any children. How are you going to work this one out? God didn't rebuke Abraham for asking that. Instead, he rewarded him. He gave Abraham the assurance he, that he needed. and then let her be looking. He, asked, he was asking, and now he's looking. And in fact, uh, it says, look now toward heaven. That's where he should have been looking all the time, but he wasn't. God made it clear that Abraham would, would father a future heir. And God assured Abraham that this, was, that this one heir would be the father of so many people that nobody would be able to count them. Even when life is dark, you can still see the stars. Someone said this, he says, when the outlook is bleak, try the uplook. <laughs> that's good, isn't it? Abraham was looking around to solve his problem, but his answer was to look up. And that's where we need to look. So we start looking around at our circumstances and says, Lord, this is not going to work out. How are you going to figure this one out, God? Don't worry, God's already got it figured out. He just hasn't revealed it to you yet. But he's going to. Just hang in there, okay? And so, uh, you know, there are about 30,000 stars that are listed in the general catalog used by astronomers. I didn't know this until uh, this week. But it's estimated that there are about 100 billion more stars. God didn't say that Abraham would have as many descendants, as that, but, but that it would be like the stars. There would be too many to count. Whether Abraham looked down at the dust or looked up at the stars, he would recall God's promise, and he would have confidence in in God's promise that God would fulfill it. The promise was repeated to Abraham again in chapter 27, and it was also reaffirmed to Isaac in chapter 26. I'm sorry, it was uh, repeated to Abraham in chapter 22, not 27. And then letter C, Believing. Look at verse 6. Abraham believed in the Lord, and he, God, counted it to him for righteousness' sake. By the way, let me go back to this Eliezer thing. I was going to tell you I was going to say something about that. Back about the heir, when Abraham said, I don't have an heir, but i got Eliezer, and uh, uh, I can adopt him. Which, by the way, in... Abraham's day was a customary thing if a if a childless couple didn't have children sometimes they would adopt one of their servants to be the heir of the family and so that's why he mentions Eliezer here Eliezer was a, was his chief of staff so to speak and <clears throat> and God says now forget Eliezer you're going to father the heir you don't have to you don't have to adopt one of your uh, one of your servants, you know, he tried to work that out with uh, Ishmael, you know, uh, with uh, Hagar, who was the uh, who was a gift from the king of Egypt when they went down into Egypt. Egypt had given Sarah Hagar as a as a handmaid. Uh, the king of Egypt gave Sarah Hagar as a, and then later on, uh, um, Sarah said, "Well, why don't you take?" Hagar as one of your wives and, and bear seed. And uh, that didn't work out too well, did it? Anyway, believing. Promises don't do us much good if we don't believe and act on them. You know, you, you can accept somebody's promise, but if you don't act upon it, if you don't believe it, it's not going to work out very well for you. So Abraham had already trusted God's promise Back in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, God, promised, God made this promise to Abraham that his sea would be like the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky and so forth. And, uh, and, and, uh, and he believed it and, and proved that by leaving home. God said, Abraham, back in chapter 12, he said, Abraham wants you to leave Ur the Chaldees and go to Canaan, another place, where you'll be a stranger. You don't know anything about this place, but I'm sending you there. And so Abraham packed up his dirty duds, on his camel, and took off. Uh, he now he parked a little while in Haran and shouldn't have, but he did. So we remember that part of the story. But but uh, but Abraham did express some faith by believing God's promise, and so he he left Ur of the Chaldees, and um, uh, and um, and went to, uh, headed toward ta- toward Canaan. But in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6, by the way, this is the first reference in the Bible to Abraham's faith. And in the New Testament, the New Testament writers use this, uh, refer to it three different times actually, as an illustration for salvation, faith unto salvation. So number one, Abraham believed God. The word that's translated believe here literally means to lean, to, to lean your whole weight upon. So when Abraham believed God, he put his whole weight and trust in God. He stopped listening to himself and started listening to God. And now he's believing God. And then let number two, Abraham received righteousness as a result of that. This was Abraham's greatest need. And by the way, it's, it's uh, the greatest need of everybody today. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, as the Bible says. There's none righteous, not one of us. Uh, it's not enough to be religious. God demands perfect righteousness or he won't let us get into heaven if we don't have his righteousness. And so that brings us to number three. God imputed his righteousness to Abraham's account. How did Abraham receive this righteousness? Well, first of all, he believed the Lord, and righteousness was imputed to him. That word impute means to put to one's account. It means to deposit in an account, just like you would go to the bank and deposit money in your account. That's what the word impute means. You go to the bank and impute some money. And uh, uh, so on the cross... Our sins were put on Jesus' account. On the cross, God put our sins on Jesus' account. That's the reason he was treated like he was there. And uh, he was numbered with transgressors. But when we trust in him, when we accepted by faith Christ as our Savior, his righteousness is put in our account. That's imputation. God imputed righteousness to us. He deposited it in our account. It didn't show up on our bank account statement, but it shows up on our eternal statement. And that's before God, and God never forgets that. Nothing can change that, by the way. Nobody can can go to our heavenly bank and withdraw that. We can't do it. No thief can go in and do that. It's there. And that makes us eternally secure. Because when we place our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, God's righteousness, not ours, our righteousness are like filthy rags. And it would amaze you if I were to describe to you what those filthy rags really are. And so our, our righteousness doesn't count. God accepts only his righteousness. And so when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, God, de- God deposits, deposits his, God puts in our account, <laughs> deposits, that's the word, deposits his righteousness in our account. That's what imputation is. Oh, thank God for that. And that... <laughs> That brings us to the last point, number three. Abraham was concerned about his land. And the rest of the chapter, chapter 15, verses 7 through 21, is all concerned about the land. What about the land? God promised that the land was there. God said, this land will be yours. And, uh, and that, uh, that is given to us in the rest of the chapter. So first of all, letter A God's affirmation of who He is. Verse seven says, "I am the Lord that brought thee out of the earth, the Chaldees, to give thee this land to inherit it." And He said, "And He said, uh, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it?" And He, verse nine, and He, God said to him, to Abraham. Take me a heifer of three years old, a she-goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took them, divided them in the midst, cut them in half, laid each piece against the other, and the birds divided he not. In other words, he cut them in two. This is a covenant. This was a, uh, this was a, um, um, a covenant that they, that they practiced back in those days when somebody made a promise uh, a, a serious promise and they made a covenant for somebody, uh, they would take a couple animals, several animals, as a matter of fact, cut them in two and lay them in a row, half over here and half over here. And then they would walk between those animals as they made the covenant and what they're actually saying says, they're saying this, they said, if I don't keep this promise, I'm like these two Parts of a bird, that I, or not bird, but uh, the ram and, and these other animals that I cut in half. I'll be cut in half. In other words, I'll be worthless. And so that's the way they made a covenant. Aren't you glad we don't have to make a covenant like that today? <laughs> uh, things changed at the cross, didn't they? And uh, so that was called, called a, a cutting covenant. Um, <clears throat> here's a name for it. Somewhere, oh, cutting, cutting a covenant. It was called cutting a covenant. Okay, so God told Abraham that He would give the land of Canaan to him and his descendants, and uh, and uh, and how He affirmed and 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 then He affirmed this promise. The land is an important part of that covenant. It was important then, and it be more important when Jesus comes back again, because. <clears throat> The Bible tells us, in fact, uh, here in the last few verses of this, verse 18, uh, it tells us the area, the land that, uh, that uh, God intended for Israel to have. Well, when you read those boundaries, the uh, river Euphrates on the east and the Mediterranean Sea on the west, uh, the Nile River to the south and then uh, north up to Syria, that, that God, God promised all that land to Israel. Have they ever had it all? No. They haven't. They've never occupied all that land. In fact, Palestinians claim some of it right now, and they're fighting for it. But they ain't going to get it, at least not during the millennium. And uh, Solomon had a greater, vast of land than David did, but he never had all the land that God promised to Israel and so it, uh, it may appear that um, God's not going to keep his promise. Uh, don't go to sleep yet. <laughs> in fact, G. Campbell Morgan um, made this statement back in 1932. Remember the date, May 14, 1948. Anybody know what the significance of that date is? I'm sorry? They became a nation again. Yes, the United Nations um, gave them that that uh, that that part of the country used to be owned by by Britain, and so the United Nations allowed Israel to become a nation again and occupy that land in 1948. But in 1932, uh, G. Campbell Morgan, he's a British expositor, we quote him a lot, read him a lot. I've got some of his books. He made this statement. He says, I'm now, now quite cons- I, I am now quite convinced that the teaching of Scripture as a whole uh, is that there is no future for Israel as an earthly people at all, earthly people at all. And then came May 14, 1948, when the world recognized Israel as a nation, and gave them Palestine. And uh, they didn't actually give them all the territory that God promised to them, but they'll get it. When Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom during the millennial reign, they'll get all the land that God has promised to them. Well, I've got to hurry on here because it's 12 o'clock. So write fast, okay? Fill in the blanks. You read the rest of it, and I'll fill in the blanks for you. A, Abraham's assurance received in a dream. And so he has this dream, and you can read about that. That's when the, the horror of great darkness fell upon him during that dream. And then uh, letter C, Abraham's anticipation of God's fulfilled plan. These are verses 13 through 21. And uh, this is where God tells him all the land that, uh, that belongs to Israel, and they someday will get it. And then uh, under letter C, uh, there's a fulfillment for the nation, verses 13 and 14 and 16 and 17. Um, the nation will, be, will become a genuine nation again. There's a fulfillment for Abraham in verse 15. Verse 15 says, And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. Now that good old age was 175 years old. I don't want to live that long. And then for the land, verses 18 through 21. This is number three, the land. And uh, so they are going to get the land. God's going to keep his promise. It will be theirs, and so Abraham, while he went through this period of darkness in his life and his soul, God reassured him and gave him comfort that I'll keep my promise. You can you can depend on that, and he gave him that covenant. It was made made in that uh, that uh, covenant, uh, the cutting, uh, the co- covenant, cutting covenant or whatever it's called, and. Uh, And you can be sure that God will keep his promise to you. Just as Abraham got the assurance that he needed, that God was God, he'll protect him, he'll provide for him, uh, he'll meet his needs. Those same promises are good for us. Amen? Amen? Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for your promises. And God, thank you that we can rest assured that you'll fulfill it all. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757 488